0: Do you even know what
1: CSG does? Uh, yeah, no. No, I don't. On a windy day last week, we asked students in the Diag if they had voted in the CSG elections. Here's what they had to say.
2: Nope. I did. I did not. No. I did
1: not vote uh, in CSG. Forgot to actually submit it. Straight up no. Then we asked why they had voted or why they hadn't.
2: I haven't received any information being like, your vote will affect this. Um, and from what people have told me, it won't affect much at all. So it's not that I didn't know that it was happening, it was that I didn't care to influence anything. I didn't know how, and I don't think I really cared that much. I just vote for them because I appreciate that they took the time to like send me information about them.
1: On this week's episode of The Daily Weekly through an interview with the newly elected President and Vice President of Central Student Government, Nithya Arun and Carla Voigt. We aim to answer the question, what does CSG do? We also speak with them about what their priorities are for the next year, and how they will increase engagement between CSG and the student body. I'm your host, Doug McClure. Stay tuned.
2: My name is Nithya, I'm a junior studying community and global public health. And uh, Carla and I recently got elected as the new um, executive team for CSD.
0: Yeah, and um, my name is Carla Voigt. I'm a junior in mechanical engineering with the computer science minor. And I've been on CSD for a couple of years as Nithya and we uh, just got elected president and I got elected vice president.
3: Thank you for joining us. This past week, we talked to some students about their knowledge about Central Student Government and whether they participated in this year's elections. Many of them confessed that they did not know what CSG did and did not participate in this election. So to start, could you explain what Central Student Government does? Sure. So
0: for starters, every student pays $10 uh, of their tuition each semester to Central Student Government. It's like $9.19 actually, but... Um, And this money essentially gets pooled for um, us to use and then is divided out into the budget. Um, The executive team gets some, the uh, legislative branch gets some of the money and then some of the money also gets divided out into other programs. Um, And then with that, Central Student Government represents all of the schools and colleges at the University of Michigan. Uh, We have representatives from every college proportional to the number of students that attend that college. And uh, there's the, that's the legislative. That's how that one is formed. And then the executive branch is just a president and a vice president, and then they appoint a cabinet. And I guess kind of how we serve the students more and less how we're structured. um, We use the money that I was talking about before to create programs and just try to give it back to the students. We also, Allocate um, close to 50% of our budget to the student organization funding committee, which um, has waves of funding and student organizations can apply for um, money that they can use toward their student board.
2: And I think one other important role that student government plays is advocating for policies that improve the well being and safety of students. Um, an example of this was probably during semester when there were talks about like PNRC grading and um administrators would not have budged on that if it were not for um you know multiple student groups coalescing and advocating together for this policy change.
3: How much influence does CSG and specifically the president and vice president have in shaping university policy?
2: I think it very much depends on the issue Um, probably for smaller scales, more um, symptom ameliorating problems, it's probably going to be easier. So let's say we wanted to come up with a quick fix for food insecurity, right, and maybe propose subsidizing grocery services. That wouldn't be that hard of a policy to execute. But, um, you know, news just came out that the university wants to divest from fossil fuels completely by 2050. And obviously 2050 is way too long to be um, divesting from, and we want to kind of catalyze that process, but advocating for it will be much more challenging. But what we can do as president and vice president is push administrators to the best of, our, best of our ability to see this through and to hopefully get it, um, get divestment going um, within a shorter timeframe.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes CSG goes on like a two-pronged approach of like using our money to um, fund smaller initiatives that are going towards our goal. And then at the same time, president and vice president will be specifically advocating toward administrators. And a lot of the time, kind of like what Nithya was saying, they might ask our opinion on like smaller things, and then we can you know, give our opinion and try to shape how that looks how a specific program looks, but a lot of the time, uh, it's kind of decisions that are being made and then we have to react to them and say like, this is not like what we were looking for um, or in terms of like Ron Weiser currently, like we're trying to work with administration and tell them what the students wanna see and what would be best for the university. And then they're kind of working with us as well. So it's not like we can directly just like, make something happen, but we can definitely try to tell administrators that this is what the students want. And I think that's really important because, you know, sometimes they can just kind of think that what they're doing is the best thing and is what the students want, but then they hear from students and it's completely different.
3: Do you feel that CSG's accomplishments are recognized by the student body? And if not, how do you plan on promoting CSG's role at the university?
2: I think communication is definitely really important. Um, our primary pathways for communication um, is you know, the basic Instagram, Twitter, social media stuff, right? Um, but I think we need to do a better job of outreach as a whole, and especially in our programming, ensuring that we're reaching out to communities that have been historically ignored. Um, When Carla and I were campaigning, we met with a lot of um, black student organizations, um, organizations um, with students that come from a marginalized background, and they expressed that they didn't even know about CSG programming, which which is not okay because they're part of the campus community. So definitely a targeted marketing approach to ensure that all students within the University of Michigan community have access to our resources.
3: According to analysis conducted by The Daily, only about 6.5% of the undergraduate student population voted in the CSG election. How will you work to increase student awareness of CSG and increase
0: engagement and voter turnout next year? Sure, so I'd like to preface this question by saying that voter turnout like statistically cut in half Um, after COVID began, just because we've been limited to completely online means of campaigning. That being said, 12% wasn't that great either. Um, So I definitely agree that uh, voter turnout needs to be higher. And I think that the best way to be doing that is kind of what Nithya was just talking about, reaching out to organizations on campus that have stake in the work that we're doing but currently don't know about what CSG can do and how their voice would influence, um, you know, the leaders being elected and what they would be able to get done. Anti-racism
3: initiatives were a large part of your election platform. What are your top priorities in this space?
2: So I think the most prominent policy was probably defunding, not defunding, um, disarming AAPB and DPSS and um we're going to advocate for that a lot and like we kind of discussed before there are policies that are going to be really easy to implement we can just kind of say okay we want to put ten thousand dollars towards ameliorating housing insecurity on campus and we can just kind of get that done through our own budget but there's these larger scale advocacy issues that we really want to push the needle on and kind of change the institution, right? Or change these policies at an institutional level. And so um, what specifically this policy area, will be working closely with um, GEO, who advocated for in the past, as well as the Students of Color Liberation Front. Um, and I think reducing police presence on campus is also part of their anti-racist demands. Um, and we're also, using data supplied by the Office for Health Equity and Inclusion to kind of inform this policy. So we're hoping um, to kind of create a coalition of students and mobilizing them to advocate for this cause, as well as using data to back up um, our policy because um, I mentioned this so many times, but I'm a public health student and um, what we learned from day one is that if you have good data that's going to you're going to have good policy. So data is very much like the backbone of policy initiatives. And so that's what we're really going to be focused on, as well as advocating for um, the expansion of Wolverine pathways. And something that we can maybe more easily do is put on a research symposium that was on our platform as well, putting on a research symposium, highlighting the work of Um, students who come from marginalized communities as a whole. You
3: are also calling for a permanent pass, no credit grading option. Why do you think this is necessary to maintain once classes return to in-person instruction?
0: Sure. So our idea with this was essentially that um, normally you can pass, fail, elect to pass, fail a couple of classes outside of your major. uh, But there's no option really inside of your major to do that. And we have seen over the past you know, year with the PNRC grading that this has really you know, ameliorated the, the stress that students felt this semester. And um, I think that all of us are constantly under a lot of stress, even though this year has been a very large culmination of that. And it's been you know, a lot higher. I think that just in general, we are always under a lot of pressure. And just having that option to elect to um, just pass a class once in a while, it wouldn't be all of your classes. It wouldn't be the same structure that we have right now with PNRC, but it would essentially be um, kind of an out if something happened in one of your classes and you could just say like, okay, I'm gonna pass this class and then you know, just move on and be able to continue with your major.
3: What are your plans for trying to make UMish a more affordable place to live and learn?
2: The first thing that we want to do is advocate for a $15 minimum wage for all campus jobs. Um, Something that we're also in the works of doing is creating a fund to help students pay for, um, you know, day-to-day needs, like groceries or maybe they need to pay rent. So creating a fund that will basically help reduce the burden of these like you know, basic extrinsic costs, the most important or the bulk of costs comes from tuition, right? And obviously this past summer, they increased tuition by 1.9%. So um, we're going to be advocating for using that 1.9% tuition increase to fund initiatives that will go back to the student body. And that may not directly, you know, put money back in the hands of students, but it will hopefully help them to afford more things on campus through subsidization.
0: Yeah. And another thing, like you said, um, is that university of Michigan already has a very, um, wealthy population. So some of the things that Nithya talked about earlier, like, uh, strengthening the bridge and Wolverine pathways programs, we think would, make it so that the University of Michigan population isn't as wealthy, and then these affordability structures would really serve to benefit them. Um, Because, you know, there's not, if there's not really the need on campus right now, obviously there is a need for a smaller margin of the community, but we would like there to be a more diverse community that we can then help even better with our affordability policies.
2: Yeah, basically, students who are in need are oftentimes overlooked because of this notion that, you know, we have a really wealthy body. And like Carlo mentioned, all of these issues are interconnected, right? Um, people who come from a low SES background are more likely to come from a marginalized community because of institutional racism. And um, what we're really trying to do is um, integrate, anti-racism into every single one of our policy areas because we know the ties that it has to all policies, right?
3: One of the key tenets of
2: your opponent's platform
3: during this election cycle was to pay all CSG members because they believed it would increase access to student government for lower socioeconomic status students. What is the current pay policy and what are your thoughts on whether all CSG members should be paid?
0: Sure. So last year, um, I worked with a number, another member of Central Student Government to enact a Pell Grant um, eligible program that pays students who have the Pell Grant um, a minimum wage for the hours that they are going to be working in Central Student Government. and. First, an incorrect notion currently exists that they can only claim a certain number of hours, but um, that's just the number of hours that we allocate into a stipend fund that is paid out of, um, and they can request more. So currently, students that are Pell Grant eligible are being paid for the work that they're doing on Central Student Government. And this was created to increase the level of socio of low SES students on Central Student Government. Um, another thing that has happened in the past is Central Student Government tried to pay their members. And um, to my knowledge, I was not on campus yet, but it was not well received by the student body. Um, this is because, you know, it's kind of like a student organization, central student government. We really shouldn't be getting paid for, um, you know, just being members of a student organization. And if anything, it's kind of the same thing as being in a student organization that isn't central student government. You're essentially putting it on your resume and hoping to get, you know, benefits from that in the future. Um, so I think that with the Pell Grant eligible, um stipend it essentially already accomplished that goal um and obviously I'm not saying that that was like the end-all be-all solution but I think that paying everyone is worse than just paying the people who are Pell Grant eligible just because there's a lot of students on central student government that already, Are very wealthy. In the past, we've done demographic surveys. And you already said that the student body of the University of Michigan is wealthy, but CSG was even wealthier. So I don't necessarily think that we should be encouraging students who, you know, might be financially motivated to join central student government. Um, I think that we should just encourage students who are from low SES backgrounds to join central student government because otherwise they might have to be holding a job um so then we're allowing them to be able to participate more fully by giving them that stipend.
2: What I don't really like but what I keep on hearing from students is this notion of amplifying um, marginalized voices on campus but the approach I like better is creating space and having a seat at the table so no one needs to amplify their voices like they're there to speak for themselves Um, and I don't know I think that's really important creating space and bringing people to the table who need to be advocating for the community.
3: With the university's recent announcement that they will be divesting from fossil fuel investments what do you think are the next steps for creating a more sustainable
0: campus? I'll just say something quick on this so I think you know, divestment is one thing in terms of our finances, but our actual tangible carbon footprint is something that we can always work on. Um, I know that there's also recommendations from the PCCN that just came out, and I'm sure that those will be guiding other goals that the administration is going to pursue soon. Um, but. So I guess I won't comment on that just because we don't know necessarily what they're going to do in terms of the PCCN report yet. But I think that, you know, the university should strive to have a um, carbon neutral footprint and strive to use as few um, carbon offsets as possible to reach that goal. And I know that that is something that the PCCN report
2: But again, with regards to divestment specifically, um, obviously reaching out to organizers who have spent years advocating for these issues. So um, we're in contact with the climate action movement um, and there's obviously other stakeholders that we also wanna reach out to who have been active such as One Year, Geo, WIO, um, SSCLF. I think something that's often times overlooked in discussions surrounding global warming is the impact, the disproportionate impact that it has on marginalized communities. So we want to ensure that um, students of color have input in this and we're pursuing um, the issue of sustainability through a climate justice lens.
3: What do you foresee will be some of the biggest challenges you will face in the next year while in office and how will you overcome them?
0: I think for starters, Obviously, campus is going to be opening back up, um, but we need to ensure that that is done safely and, you know, slow enough to where we are not endangering our students and we're not forcing them to come back to campus and then leave again because that is just a whole other burden on students that we do not want to create again. Um, I think that administrators and certain students are very excited at the possibility of being completely in-person in the fall. But the reality of that is that if we're not prepared to bring students back safely, we shouldn't really be pursuing it. And I think right now um, with the Blue queue and everything, I personally have not heard from the Blue queue at all, but I got a vaccine outside of the University of Michigan. Um, I think that we need to be having a lot Better of a system on tracking vaccinations. Uh, and once we have that data, we can make a better and informed decision on what the fall will look like um, without just jumping the gun and saying, like, we're going to be all back in person. And um, I think that that would be the most important thing over the coming semester is just making sure that we, you know, manage our expectations and don't get too excited.
3: We talked to some students about what questions they had for CSG, and one common question we received was, what is CSG's position on in-person graduation, and how will they work with seniors to make sure their voice is heard on this issue?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I know that other schools are doing kind of like a public health-informed in-person commencement, Um, and I think, that as long as we're maintaining proper guidelines, as long as um, people can show negative tests going in, um, then we could have possibly done an in-person graduation. I know um, they just announced that the big house is open to view commencement in, which is obviously not the best thing. But I think it's possible with um, following public health protocols.
3: With a large and diverse student population here at the university, how do you, as president and vice president, decide which policies to prioritize and whose voices to amplify?
2: Um, I think uh, we're going to be prioritizing work that has, um, that affects students who have been overlooked by CSG for quite a while. Um, So especially pushing our anti-racism policies are going to be really important affordability issues um, and ameliorating those. Um, An issue I'm particularly passionate about is student security. Um, In 2016, they, are. The School of Public Health released a survey and found that 33% of students at the University of Michigan have faced food insecurity. Um, that's one in three students, and that means that's one in three students who, you know, go to bed at night without having a proper meal. And um, that's that's not okay. And you know, in the wake of this pandemic, it's plausible to say that that rate has only increased. So, um, especially rolling out programs that will help ameliorate food insecurity on campus, such as subsidizing food delivery services, um, grocery delivery services, providing a bus route or funding a bus route to grocery stores to hopefully make getting groceries more accessible. Um, We could also think about Um, providing every student with like five or 10 free meals on their M M card so they can go to the dining hall if they feel hungry um, and they have access to that. So those weren't necessarily policy priorities, but um, they're policies that we certainly want to roll out during the course of our administration.
0: Yeah, and I think another just kind of more broad answer is essentially we are going to have policy advisors on every issue that was listed in our platform. And, um, we're tasking them with going through and doing the, you know, research and figuring out the necessary steps for each of those policies to be enacted. And, um, obviously there's going to be a balance between, you know, the most doable ones and the ones that'll have like the most effect on student on the student body. Um, And I think that we're just going to essentially work with them and make sure that um, the ones that we are pursuing are going to be directly improving the lives of students and move move forward with those, get as many of them done as possible, and then um, continue looking at the other ones and exploring what we can do to improve it.
1: Here's what else you need to know this week. On April 2nd, University's Board of Regents voted to censure Regent Ron Weiser. In an earlier session, the Board of Regents announced their intention to disinvest from fossil fuels and commit to a net-zero endowment by 2050. Finally, the City of Ann Arbor is considering a plan that would send unarmed mental health professionals to nonviolent 911 calls instead of police officers. At the time of recording, April 6th, the university's COVID dashboard shows 360 positive test results in the last 14 days. Michigan Medicine has administered 90,852 vaccines, and a total of 39,930 individuals are fully vaccinated. On April 5th, the state of Michigan officially opened up vaccination appointments to anyone over the age of 16. To find a vaccination location in your area and schedule an appointment, visit michigan.gov slash vaccine. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Weekly. Stay up to date on all the latest news about COVID, sports, and the university at michigandaily.com and by following The Michigan Daily on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. This episode was produced by executive producer Gerald Sill, senior podcast editors Doug McClure and Rachel Fagan, content producers Sophia Terenzio, Isaac Mintz and Kayla Zhang, and audio engineer Seth Hellman. The Daily's theme song was composed by Gibson Gillette Behrens.